0: E bem-vindos ao Melhor camp da Minha Vida, um podcast sobre MMA. Basicamente, mas não exatamente, mas basicamente. Eu sou sua apresentadora, Fernanda Prates, a não ser que o simples fato de que eu tô fazendo essa apresentação em português mude algo essencial nessa frase aparentemente simples. Quer dizer, eu ainda sou sua apresentadora, Fernanda Prates, no sentido de que eu tô aqui, sob a minha identidade, apresentando esse programa, mas... Eu não sou exatamente a sua apresentadora Fernanda Prates, no sentido de que o papel de apresentadora Fernanda Prates envolve uma relação de reciprocidade que foi rompida no momento em que eu introduzi uma barreira intransponível à comunicação. But in any case, you don't need to worry about any of that now. That I promise is all the Portuguese you are going to get for today. I just wanted to try something different and frankly, I felt like the whole existential thing was getting a little tiring. I mean, did I maybe contemplate using this opportunity to discuss how the Portuguese language differentiates permanent and temporary states of being by using different verbs, namely ser versus estar, where the English language only uses to be, and how that seemingly small difference impacts the very fabric of communication? Maybe. Did I, perhaps, casually reflect on how I could contrast that with English and discuss the existential implications attached to making judgments on the concepts of essence versus state as part of everyday communication? Yeah, maybe a little bit. But hey, what matters to us is that I ultimately chose against it. We've been through enough today already. For the purposes of this particular encounter, on this particular episode, I really am merely your host, Fernanda Pratis, showing up for yet another week of making things unnecessarily hard and confusing for us all. If it makes you feel any better, though, I do have some good news. Not only am I once again relieving the weight of my presence with yet another awesome guest, but I am also bringing him along on a fun little activity. Inspired by my recent viewing of the high fidelity remake, and in protest of its abhorrent cancellation, I have picked my top five greatest MMA heartbreaks of all time. My friend Gabriel Gonzalez, who is also the lead correspondent for Cageside Press, reporter for MMA Uncaged, and host of the MMA Daily podcast, will offer five heartbreaks of his own. We'll laugh. We'll cry, we'll question several of our life choices. There's really no wrong opinion in this episode, other than all opinions that disagree with mine. Anyway, here's our chat. Enjoy it, or don't, just remember I am Brazilian, and therefore deserving of nothing but sympathy and Nutella right now. Just last week, the guests that we have to... Actually, this week, forgetting technical, because it was Sunday, but uh, no, today's Tuesday, I'm already confused. But yeah, just last week... The guest we have today on the show had me on his podcast. And in preparation, he sent me this organized Google document with a detailed outline with what we would be be discussing on said episode, which got me thinking, should I be doing this for my guests as well? The answer to that particular question is, of course, yes. As for whether I will start doing this, the answer is most likely no. But I'm because, you know, I'm lazy, but I think it is cool that we're establishing right away that today's guest is actually a more competent podcast host than I'll ever be. (laughs) Welcome to the show,
1: Gabriel okay well thank you that is very <laughs> generous but um you've gone through several podcasts i just have the one and um i uh, already have had to go through uh, one co-host so i'm on my second one so i think we need a you know a different barometer for success <laughs> it's not just the outline but um thank you fernando i was uh, impressed i, I appreciate though. it
0: i thought that was like good like Preparation. I legit was, like, self-conscious because usually I'm just like, hey, you want to be on my show? Like, we'll just talk about whatever I'm feeling that week. And then, like, you, <laughs> you made me feel smart. And I was like, maybe I should do that for my guests. And then I was like, eh, you know, I'm not. I'm too selfish for that. But thank you. That was kind.
1: But well, thank you for having me. I'm excited.
0: <laughs> of course. I actually explained on the intro, which... A little glimpse of the backstage for the people listening when i record the bigger intro which is usually deranged and insane i don't like subjecting our guests to it so they're not here for that we we'll do that later uh but on the intro that gabriel has no knowledge of uh i explained that today we're playing a little game this is a a themed show um however i first wanted to address some of the happenings of the MMA world, or to be more specific, the combat sports world. We'll start with the news that we got yesterday afternoon, um, and that apparently got confirmed today, that Tyron Woodley, and Tyron Woodley, of course, the former UFC welterweight champion, and Jake Paul, YouTube person who also boxes, um, that they have an agreement to compete in a Showtime pay-per-view boxing match and people have thoughts and opinions and feelings on those things, Gabriel, uh, from what I could gather from the Twitters and I wanted to hear yours. How did you, how do you feel about this, this matchup?
1: I mean, uh, I talk about the whole celebrity boxing thing a lot Mm -hmm. personally and uh, just because it's, uh, you know, it's all the rage right now. (laughs) And I I will say this, I put it out there like, hey, you know, what's your interest level and who do you got? Mm -hmm. And the love for Woodley is Mm -hmm. real. Very, very, you know, a lot of them people are already outpacing, you know, all the support I ever saw for Ben Askren to pull off the, you know, the upset there. So when I look at all this, I've already made peace with the fact that as long as they make money... This thing's around to stay. Like, mm-hmm. I, I compare it to the esports thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you would not think that, you know, a couple of guys and girls playing video games on a big screen would sell out Madison Square Garden and be on ESPN and generate this kind of money, but they do. Yeah. And so that's why there's a, if there's a paying audience for it, people will keep going into it. And if there's one thing proven from Jake Paul after two events is that there's a paying audience to see these guys. Mm -hmm. I was at the last Logan Paul fight. That was a pretty packed house. Mm -hmm. And it was a lot of early 20-somethings, college-age kids that, you know what? This is, everyone has their thing. Mm -hmm. I am of a generation that doesn't get it, but I can easily see that this is, something that a lot of younger people they follow these guys Mm -hmm. and so when i saw it i'm like you know what if it's a thing then i am all for people getting paid i do know Mm -hmm. he's playing a heel but you know what far be it from me to say oh yeah you shouldn't contribute to this madness and not make money i'm Mm -hmm. never gonna say that
0: yeah i honestly like i was alarmed by how indifferent i was to it like i just I think that honestly to me what this all means And I'm absolutely in agreement with you I think that some of us might simply not really get it Like not respond to it And I'm one of those people But like in my opinion I just don't think that it proves anything About anyone or anything or any sport Like I feel like some people might see it as this kind of like an attempt to prove the superiority of one sport over the other or, you know, just kind of like as this like high stakes situation or, you know, this is an MMA fighter going into that arena. And so he has something to prove or show about MMA. I don't really think there's any of that because you have like this young guy who seems to actually be really training and working toward being a boxer. Um, and you have and who has power because we've seen it and who's still you know but for all intents and purposes on the early stages of his career and then you have this older seasoned combat sports professional who is not a boxer who is an MMA fighter who has proven himself at the highest level of that sport and one of them going against the other on a boxing match like what exactly is being proven here about anything like in my mind it's just like there's nothing there's nothing at stake for really any sports there's money to be made and of course people want to win but to me there's really the extent of that it's just like two grown adult consenting men agreeing to this thing and as long as they're both of sound mind and body and can you know consciously agree to going through what is no ifs and buts about it a dangerous activity then just do you How I kind of always go about these things And especially this one And it makes sense, I think, like with the narrative, right? Like with the Ben Askren narrative And Time Will being, you know, friends with Ben Askren And having that sort of little heat And being a free agent at this moment Like I just don't have a problem with it I'll probably watch it, may not, you know I just, I don't know I think I understand why people get so up in arms about it. But at the same time, I think rationally, we really should.
1: Yeah, I think that the people who get up in arms are people who want to watch it. But then, Mm. you know, you also know what you're getting out of it. Like, look, if you're a boxing fan, you know, watching a talent like Floyd Mayweather is obviously fantastic, you know, he's, uh, you know, arguably the best of a generation. And then you hear who they're putting in front of him. And you're like, Oh, you know, well, I'd have to pay. And even if I don't pay, you know, like the whole, uh, I'm not going to get into it. You know what Triller and Dana are talking about going after the streaming and all that. But uh, I, I get it in that way. And then in terms of the interest, uh, I'd really try hard to think about it. I did a whole piece over on Cage Side Press about the history of celebrity boxing. Mm-hmm. It was a whole show in network television, So it's not new. I think it's just, you know, now with the internet, the ability to create interest in, you know, celebrities, they're just more, quote unquote, public figures, and it's just created for a different landscape. But in terms of the actual event, I'm like, WWE sells out uh, arena every, like several days a week, every week. You know, and mind you'd like, I hate to break hearts if, you know, you might be a younger uh, listener of Fernanda's podcast, but it's fake too. You know, they know who's going to win. It's written in the back. Hey, you, you know, The Rock, John Cena, you're going to win this one. And this is going to happen. That way next week we can start talking about this. And by the time our next big pay-per-view rolls around, we have the next big event already lined up and people love it. And they pay for it and they pay for the tickets and they pay for the t-shirts. The love for WWE, I swear, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but anytime there's some crossover, the love is just real. Mm-hmm. And when I think about that, I'm like, how is that different from celebrity boxing? Oh, you know, it's not good boxing. You know, it's not the highest level of XYZ. But if it's entertainment people love, are you really surprised that, you know, people show up for it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if people... Yeah, the, the, I actually quoted this um, column um, on the show we did right after the Jake Paul and Ben Askren fight in which um, he's actually a, a boxing writer and he was actually talking about how, you know, you can say what you want about the Paul brothers and I, there's a lot to be said. I've, I, I think I've kept myself willfully ignorant about the two, but like... <laughs> boxing is like a commitment and going up there is a commitment and putting on these fights is a commitment so like i owe them a basic level of respect as fighters and competitors for that you know so i don't know yeah i just it's I actually enjoy uh, watching the reactions to the whole thing more than than like I enjoy reading and and seeing like the the outraged more than I actually do watching the whole thing. But uh, with that covered, because I feel like it's the mandatory MMA segment of everything to have thoughts on this situation, I wanted to. Move on to what we're here for, the gist of our show, which I briefly explained in my intro. That is, we are inspired by my watching of the remake of High Fidelity, starring Zoe Kravitz, um, picking our all-time biggest MMA heartbreaks. And that is very broad. I set no rules. When I talked to Gabriel, I said, the only rule is that I don't know what your heartbreaks are and you don't know mine. So in case there's repetition, we'll just roll with it because we didn't know. But
1: this also is an MMA. We're talking about our whole life, too. I don't know what's broken your heart over the years.
0: Well, yeah. Well, that would be a broader, broader episode. We should we would need to do like a special episode on the major things that have broken my heart. But um, and that would include a lot, a lot of serious cancellations like the popular the tv show popular i still haven't gotten over that but for today the the purposes of today's episode we're focusing on mma and i i'm excited because i think i'm curious to see what you picked because i didn't really set any specific boundaries it could be a fight it could be a fight that didn't happen it could be a narrative it could be a fighter so i am actually super curious to see what you picked, um, as the visitor you get to choose. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first?
1: Oh, ladies first, of course.
0: Oh, okay. Who said chivalry isn't that? I have opinions on chivalry, uh, but we'll also get get to that on a different episode. <laughs> <laughs> My first heartbreak, still haven't gotten over it, might never, is the downfall of one Henambaro. Like as a general concept, because as people know, Hennabaran was once the bantamweight champion in the UFC. Uh, as people who have ever listened to a UFC show, they have probably heard the little promo saying Hennabaran is a monster. Because we thought Hennabaran was a monster, he won a lot. He, in fact, went undefeated from two thousand and five. 2014 having only lost on his pro MMA debut so we were really excited about him we thought he could be just this dominant incredibly you know like gold status force and he was not not after uh, TJ Dillashaw came along anyway um, I think we all have this sort of there's this common narrative in MMA right about like a fighter who's never really the same after a specific fight. And, you know, that the idea of that fight that changed everything. And in a way, I think that's like a reasonable thing because obviously is this is the kind of sport where you can incur the kind of specific damage that will carry sort of lifelong consequences. But I don't think that was the case with Hena Barrow and, and TJ's first fight. Um, Hina was really just dominated um, but he was he got a really hard punch early on and I think that he really had a tough time sort of getting his bearings after that so even after that fight I think there was still you know question. I, I don't think that was the fight that people were kind of like oh he's done it was the kind of fight that was like okay that one punch really messed him up let's see like how he fares let's see how he goes from here let's see how he does in a different fight and then Right after that, before the rematch with TJ, he had that horrible weight cut, um, couldn't fight, fell in the tub. Like, it was a whole... I think the version of the effect that we settled on was that he was having a bad cut, slipped on the tub, and, and hit his head and couldn't fight that day. But all we know is that from then on, he was never the same person. And I don't know, I think... What makes that one especially heartbreaking for me, it's not necessarily the downfall in itself because we've witnessed this and we have established that fighters, you know, have their time and they age and things happen. And then, you know, we've seen fighters decline over time, but with him, it just felt so sudden. Like TJ really just, Stapped him of his life forces in that first fight. And I don't know. It just made me sad. He did. He was able to win again, but never to get a win streak going. And he left the UFC on what I believe was a five fight losing streak or something like that. And I actually talked to him before his last loss. And he was talking about how like a lot of his problems were due to the weight cut, that it was too severe for him And that he wasn't eating and that he wasn't performing that he was miserable, basically. And that, you know, now he's happy and he was happy. And then he was going into that fight happy. And I guess I grew hopes again. And then he lost again. And yeah, that was the whole thing. I'm sad. The, The good news is that I think I'm... Sadder about the downfall of Henembaron than I think he is. <laughs> like he seemed really okay with everything. Like I talked about the idea of him maybe you know not being in the UFC anymore after that fight, depending on what happened. And he was very much like, "Ah, like if I'm no longer a UFC fighter, I'm still a fighter. Like nothing changes." So good on him. But yeah, that one keeps me up at night, Gabriel. Probably forever will.
1: I feel like this is one of those, you know, listening to you. Like, we're supposed, you know, I'm supposed to like be with you and bring the ice cream and you have like the wine. <laughs> and, you know, w- we're just in like a t shirt and shorts and just like, you know, watching TV and, and being you like, know, yeah. We're having one of those Friday nights, you know,
0: <laughs> where we commiserate. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's like, I got you. It's going to be okay. And, you know, now uh, with Hannon, you know, talking about that, uh, I always remember the Hannon situation as he just um, right place a little too soon. And I also related, um, I think that uh, what was tough is he had that decline and Really, I, and I always say it, I think the best fighter to never win a title was uh, Uriah Faber. Just mm-hmm. uh, Uriah Faber was at the top of the game a little too early. And in UFC, he had those two opportunities and twice he was turned back by Henan Barrow. Well, he mm-hmm. had more, but I think the biggest, I think the best Uriah Faber in the UFC, uh, he was, you know, when he was at that point, Henan was the champion and he had the chances against Henan. Um, and what I remember with Baral is that he had that obviously great start and he won the title and this stuff and that stuff. And then his big fight, his breakout was always going to be the Dominic Cruz fight mm-hmm. and Dominic Cruz. He's not on my list, but he certainly could be with all the injuries he had over the years. Spoiler, the his own mind. Go ahead. <laughs> there you go. But Hannon never got that fight and mm-hmm. that I really think would have elevated his, uh, you know, just his stock in MMA, the MMA landscape in general, mm-hmm. but he never got there. And then when you had the rise of TJ and Cody, Hannon really never got back to that level. And then as he was having this decline, the Bantamweight division has had just such a renaissance with Cody, TJ, and, you know, Dominic Cruz came back. And now we have obviously a new generation of Peter Yan and Aljo, but... You know, Hennon, when you think about how good he was in the streak he was on, the idea of that Hennon Barrow at a, you know, maybe three years later, where the bantamweight division would have been, it does suck because he was on the decline and he kind of got to see other guys reap the benefits of competing in that era at 135. Mm -hmm. So I do remember that. And yeah, anytime you see a guy just have that sharp of a decline, it's like, oh, like... Well, I remember the king. What happened, man? So, yeah. yeah, that that one was a tough, tough to watch just how abrupt it was.
0: Yeah, because it all, I think it always feels kind of abrupt just because we don't see the fighters that often, right? Like we see them three times a year, is a year on a good year for a fighter who's lucky enough to get injured. But with him, it just felt so steep. But yes, I'll get over it. And we have plenty of sad shit to talk about today. So my question is, what is your first all-time MMA heartbreak
1: oh my gosh uh so not a particular fight or moment but just Mm. the uh the injuries that caught up to Cain Velasquez okay
0: um, you're representing um, my fiance Rodrigo today because he would be right there with you you were like speaking to his soul right now but please continue
1: well you're not a man after my own heart right (laughs) you know this is why you and I are great friends, because obviously I remind you of him, right? <laughs> yes, assuming.
0: absolutely. Even though I've known you, I think we've been friends since before I was friends with him, but sure. <laughs> we'll See,
1: that, that, yeah, I I have always said that if you and I lived together we or not live together, but live near each other. Yeah, like in we would hang the out a same lot. region. Oh yes, we would be getting pizza and talking a lot of trash <laughs> about people we know in this business. <laughs> I am and we, and we have agreed on this. Yes. Um, yes. Yes. Um, but anyway, get ben, getting back to the point, uh, Kane, I, I distinctly remember, you know, those fights with Junior Dos Santos, the last two. And, you know, just when you look at his skill set and everything, he really did have the just dangerous set of skills. He had the speed. You know, when you remember his fight with Travis Brown, the kind of striking he displayed, not even using his world-class wrestling and, you know, the cardio and all this stuff. I truly thought this is going to be the guy. This is the guy that starts breaking the records, actually beats everybody. When you look at the competition at the time when he was at the top, I think that he was in that right moment where he really was head and shoulders above the people who were under him. And then, you know, he gets hurt, he hurts the back, he hurts the shoulder, and then it just, he really just never can get it back together. And his body really just gave up on him. He had that fantastic comeback, you know, so he loses, you know, he's out. He does come back and he fights Fabrizio Verdum and, you know, it was a... He's fighting well, but it looks like he just doesn't have that extra oomph behind him. And I know people talk about, you know, the elevation in Mexico City and all that. I do think that the layoff and the injury played more of a factor than we'll ever know. But the fact is that happened. He hurts himself again. He has a comeback. He gets hurt again. And I've always said this, Fernanda, when you look at how shredded he looked for the fight with Francis Ngannou. I think people don't give enough credit that I do think that Kane was looking to make a run. And then, of course, you know, Francis did what Francis does. And, you know, Kane, he gets knocked out. He injures his knee again because, you know, his uh, spirit is not within his body to tell his knee how to bend correctly as it falls. (laughs) And, you know, that's just it. That's the end of Kane Velasquez in the UFC. And I've always said he never gets hurt. He probably breaks the record for heavyweight title defenses. Mm -hmm. I think he has an epic series of fights with Stipe Miocic. Mm -hmm. Daniel Cormier maybe never moves up. If Daniel Cormier never moves up, what does that mean at light heavyweight with Jon Jones? All these storylines, I really do think that had Kane stayed healthy, you know, we're talking about a completely different world in mixed martial arts at the higher weight classes. So, you know, that one... I always remember, like, ah oh, man, like, if you so remember, close. you know, Cain Velasquez, that dude really was something.
0: I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, as is, he's there in the conversation, the all-time conversation, right? Like, he is one of the best heavyweights of all time. He was that skilled. He was that fast. I, I always thought of him as, like, a non-heavyweight heavyweight. Apologies to the rest of the heavyweights, but like, just the amount of just agility, like everything that he brought into the division was so interesting. And he could have been the, like you mentioned, he could have broken records, but I think he could have been, you know, the best heavyweight of all time. Like no no whiffs and buts about it. And then he wasn't because his own body disagreed with him. And that's really sad. To me, that's one of the, I joke that Dominic Cruz is going to appear because he is in my list, but that's because to me, that's one of the saddest, most heartbreaking things in MMA, right? Like, imagine doing this thing that is so reliant on so many unpredictable things, so many things that are not, that you can't necessarily control. Because yes, you can control your body to an extent. You can control what you put in it. You can control how you train it, but you can't really... You know, control every little thing the ligaments do. And I really can't imagine being in an occupation, in in a line of work where so much of what you do is reliant on so many unpredictable moving parts. One of them being your body. And then one day your body being just like, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't think I'm there with you. (laughs) It's just, I don't know. It just seems so sad. So I totally agree with you. Since I've spoiled it, I will segue into, yes, Dominic Cruz. This is in all particular order, by the way. These are like five heartbreaks that are all sort of equally bad in different ways, at least for me. I don't know if you're rating them, Gabriel, but I'm not.
1: No, I'll keep that in mind. So, the, you know, you're an equal opportunity heartbreak. Heartbreak. You know, <laughs> I, like I, I get it.
0: All things hurt different. I don't want to say they're hurt more or less because that would just be disrespectful. But since we mentioned it, Dominic Cruz is absolutely on my top five. Uh, what's interesting to me is like, I don't think now Dominic Cruz, who, by the way, is not uh, retired from MMA yet, is a successful um, commentator, is a very well-respected figure in the MMA world. Like, I don't think he's seen... As a sad story And a lot of that Has to do With the fact That I don't think He made himself out To be a sad story But And there's An element Of course Of redemption Right? To his Sort of career arc Uh, Mainly the fact that You know He came back And he reclaimed The title But I just think It's so sad That this Amazing athlete Who was at the very top of like his sort of athletic abilities, right? Who was just and who had the type of skill set and the type of intrigue, who was just like the kind of athlete that that seemed to have that intangible, that extra little thing that makes you not just a great athlete, but a great, a great period. You know, like who has that that extra next level thing? Not to say that he doesn't have it anymore. He's still a perfor- high performance athlete who's still in the UFC and who just recently got a win over Casey Kenny. But, you know, at that time, I've particularly, and this of course has an element of me that I particularly looked up to him. So much. I admired and loved watching Dominic Cruz fight so much. And then he had this knee injury that. Put him out of the game for two years and he's about to come back uh, to fight, if I'm not mistaken, I actually don't have his topology here in front of you right now, but uh, to fight exactly him, him the fight that you mentioned that never happened. And he was scheduled to come back and then he gets injured again and then he's out for a bunch of months again. Then he does come back um, and when? because he came back to Takeya Mizugaki and beat him in the first round and win. And then it's just get injured again. (laughs) It's like, it's so sad to think about, you know, the amount of time that Dominic Cruz spent away because of his injuries. And even though that, like I said, I don't think his story is necessarily a sad one because he did come back. Um He did, you know, get the UFC title again. He did defend it. Um, I still can't get over the sadness of this incredibly gifted athlete being away of the sport that he really excels at. And that, to me, he is one of the all-time greats of the sport, but that could, you know, be even like... I don't know, more a stronger presence even in the pound-for-pound pound conversations to have that person lose, like, f- three, four years of their athletic prime to, like, injuries. It just breaks my heart.
1: I remember when I talked about the return of Dominic Cruz uh when he was going to fight Henry last year, and I was looking at the stats, and I remember talking about it on my previous show, and I was like, Dominic Cruz has fought... L- three times, two times in the last like eight or nine years. It was some ridiculous stat like that. And it's like, if you talked about that about any other fighter, what would you think about their chances? And yet people did not count out Dominic Cruz at all. You Mm -hmm. know, he was not the heavy favorite, but I think that's a testament to just how much people have believed in Cruz. And I agree with you the way he handled everything. I mean, he didn't, oh, uh, he just got hurt and disappeared. He's become one of the most prolific commentators in the sport. You yeah. know, he's a very frequently next to Joe Rogan. If it's not Cormier, it's uh, Cruz, or if not, both of them. So uh, I give him credit for that. And similar to what we talked about, Baral and Faber, the timing for Cruz. And I think it's great that he did get to taste gold. He tasted the summit, but... When you talk about when he got hurt, after Hennenborough, that was pretty much going to be a sweep for Dominic. I mean, he'd beaten over the years, all of the top guys, the mm-hmm. Benavides, the Faber, Scott Jorgensen, for people who remember the WEC days. You know, he had that run and it's like, and then he just disappears And yes, eventually someone new came up like they always do. You did talk about his redemption with TJ. I think that was the crowning moment of his legacy is that Mm -hmm. you get the... That's the one where you got the feeling, you know, if he had not gotten injured, he still would have been able to keep up with these new guys. But Mm -hmm. we'll never know. And I always say the only reason Dominic Cruz doesn't get it over Cain Velasquez in terms of the biggest what if is just because I think that Cain Velasquez's story... Affected more careers. I do think that Dominic. He's great at 135. I do think he was still maybe too small. For the top guys at 145. Mm-hmm. And flyaway was out of the picture. So that's the only reason why I say. That he doesn't affect as much the history of MMA. Yeah. As much as Kane. But certainly yeah. It was a heartbreaker too. That he didn't get to enjoy the heights. That I do think he could have reached.
0: Yeah. And I mean like we said. Good on him for he never really moped about it as much as I would have in his position, which um, is more of an indictment of me than (laughs) than anything else. But, and he did, you know, he had an amazing turnaround. Like, I don't want to make this a sadder story than Dominic Cruz himself made it to
1: be. But yeah. Uh,
0: What about your, your second, in no particular order, MMA heartbreak?
1: Oh, so I, I forgot the date on it, but I know people will remember it. It was um Kat Zingano's loss to Ronda Rousey. Oh, okay. And uh, so that one, um, I think you'll remember. So Ronda was obviously at the top of her game. She was coming off like an 18 second knockout. And then people are like, there's no way she tops it again. And what does she do? She armbars Kat Zingano in like 16 seconds. And it's like, are you kidding me? But why that one was heartbreaking, especially for Kat. And I think people don't remember this a lot because Ronda at the time, you know, she was she was not just an MMA star. She was like a global star, like the people who never tuned in to watch. They were like, oh, I need to watch that blonde chick, you know, whoop some booty. So uh, I think that people forget just how much Cat had going into that fight. And there was the whole ESPN a magazine feature, I remember. And mm-hmm. Kat was going to coach the Ultimate Fighter. She hurt her knee. And that's what led to Misha Tate being on the show and yeah. all that stuff. First season with the women. So she lost that opportunity. She comes back. She beats some girl that not nobody was talking about named Amanda Nunes. You know, that mm-hmm. fight has aged like wine for Kat. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, and then, you know, she kind of uh, is a little time. And then finally, you know, she gets that fight with Rhonda. But I think what people maybe forget, she had that. And, you know, at the time when she could have gotten the exposure and really grown as a star, she gets injured. So she watches Misha Tate, who's already had her shot at Rhonda, who Kat, you know, knocked out, get all the shine from being on The Ultimate Fighter and everything that went into that. Yeah. And then, you know, uh, people don't remember this, but Kat Zingano's husband... Uh, you know, he uh, took his own life by suicide. Mm-hmm. And that was something she was dealing with. Yeah. And, you know, she had her son and talking about how her son had bonded with uh, her husband. And it was just, uh, you know, just a heartbreaking story. And I know, you know, it's not a new thing now, but she was one of the few, if not the only m- fighter who was a mother. And, you know, that at the- nowadays, you know, we have Michelle Watterson, Amanda, Mackenzie mm-hmm. Dern. But at the time, you know, that was part of her story. So she has all of that. And then, just like any other loss, when you go out there and it's over in less than half a minute after all the work you put in and the sacrifice and the emotion, I always think people forget just how much that sucked. Because when you look at Kadzingano's story and this was her big moment finally, and it just kind of gets shuttered out because we're talking about the legend of Rhonda, it, that's a heartbreaker.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely a heartbreaker. Just FYI, the uh, exact date of the Ronda Rousey fight was 28th uh, February 2015. I'm sorry I read it weird, but Americans read dates in a different way than Brazilians read
1: dates, in case that's new information for you all. But yeah, And by the way, I also remember, I was also there in the arena for that one as a fan. Very mm-hmm. cool experience, all the same.
0: And yeah, the whole thing, like... Kat is, I think, one of those fighters who eventually, looking back, people might give her her due more than they do now, I hope. because she really did go through a whole lot. Um, I will. Well, my third one now seems a little silly, uh, but I think all of Brazil is with me on this one. And I think you might guess what it is because I think this is a very expected item on this list. But my third heartbreak is José Aldo getting knocked the fuck out by Conor McGregor in 13 seconds. Like, there's. Are you in any way surprised that this is here, Gabriel?
1: Uh, Spoiler, it's on my list too. And I had a feeling there are two of them that I'm like, I'm 90% sure she's going to have it too, but I'm not going to just, you know yeah assume that the brazilian is gonna have the two biggest <laughs> brazilian heartbreaks on our list i appreciate it don't let me stop you continue
0: no i consider not even putting this here because i was like oh it's so predictable but it, it had to be here because i will confess that i legitimately cried watching that one i have never ever cried like actual tears watching a fight i am not gonna lie i am like i guess closer to some fighters than the others like People listen to this podcast know I did PR for the UFC for a while, and I don't know there are fighters you work more closely with that you form more bonds with, or you know things akin to friendships. And I get nervous watching uh, quite a few of them fight. Uh, Damian Maya is a guy that occurs to me uh, that you know always I'm invested in in his fights, but with this one. I was just so, so sad. And I remember the exact events of that day. Like I had recorded this thing for um, the Globus Pochi website. Like this, I was like a commentator on this live thing. And afterward, I met with a friend of mine who does PR for the USC now. And uh, a friend of mine from Globo and a friend of his whom I didn't know, they both joined us and we went to a bar. To watch the fight And that, my friend Was the big mistake Of what happened Because we're at this Like crowded bar situation And Of course it's a main event And there's all this expectation And You know The thing about watching fights In bars uh, I don't even remember What a bar is At this point But uh, Back in my day When us kids Would You know Convene Among other people In their germs We We The thing about watching bars is that like people say a lot of dumb shit around you and being a woman, that's like times a thousand because people also assume they know more than you. And it's a whole thing. It's a concept. I'll talk about watching UFC fights in bars later uh, in another episode, but in this particular instance, like... So we were in this situation I had just like I was studying about this fight I was talking about this fight And it was already surrounded By so much expectation And it had already been canceled once And uh we all know how Connor is And how he acts And it was just so emotionally charged And the fight starts And then it ends In 13 freaking seconds And I think just the shock of it all Like he would Even if it's in a way, sadder to watch a person get like beaten for five rounds because I think it says more about the other fighter's superiority than just a quick knockout. Like in in many ways, it is like more heartbreaking because it feels like you actually watch something shift rather than you know this was a lucky strike. But the way it was just so stunning, I was just so shocked. And I think what made me the most heartbroken about it at the time was that I knew like this was going to become part of the Aldo conversation and that made me really sad because i was like this guy built his whole life from scratch like basically but his career right like aldo had had made this this thing for himself and it was very much against the odds i i still don't think that aldo has you know the he has a personality that speaks to the Brazilian audience and particularly the audience from Rio. Even though he wasn't born in Rio, he's been embraced by Rio. Like, in a way that I know he doesn't speak to american audiences and i've tried to explain it a few times but it's hard because i think it's a charisma and an it thing but but like i don't think aldo is the kind of guy that you would necessarily pick to be a star and he made himself into not just an amazing fighter but a presence in the sport and 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 i was just so sad about the idea that that moment could go on to define him you know and I don't know I don't think it did uh he obviously came back from that and his fight with Frankie Edgar at UFC 200 was am I correct UFC 200 I think so but yeah. it was it was just so great uh I think he's shown time and time again and then going to to bantamweight even though everybody thought he wasn't going to be able to do it and and do what he did at bantamweight like I think that Aldo is a guy who really made himself undeniable again and again even after that fight but like i was just so sad that 13 seconds was going to become part of his history and even though it didn't become all of his history it did become incorporated to it in a way that i still think kind of sucks but yeah like without rationalizing without like really thinking about right reasons for it i would say that like emotionally that moment affected me profoundly <laughs> like i actually left the bar that day because my friend and i were both really sad and the guy we didn't know who was at the table thought it was hilarious he thought it was funny that we were like so invested in that so we just got so fucking pissed that we left <laughs> but yeah let that to me will forever i think stay in my heart of hearts
1: i mean that's just so mean I mean, you know, guys like you wait for the girl to come to the bar all the time and you're going to be that mean to her. I'm sorry. For <laughs> me. I, I would have bought you the guys the next round. It's
0: okay. <laughs> right. People yeah. listening learn that would have been the right move. Uh, but yeah, you and, and you just said that this was on your list as well, right?
1: Yeah, you'll appreciate this because I actually have the, um, I don't think you've ever seen uh, my whole headquarters that I've set up when I do my show. But if you, you know, do a 360 of the room, I have a Mm -hmm. bunch of posters. I have the UFC 200. So I'm looking at Jose Aldo looking all cool on the poster right now. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, yeah, obviously the buildup. I mean, I will say this. Objectively speaking, the world tour that he and Connor did earlier that year, before the first before the cancellation, that was just epic. I think they were the two right personalities to collide for such Mm -hmm. an event, and you know, world tours. Truth be told, I don't. After you know how efficient and cost effective uh, the virtual. Thing has been over the last year. I don't know if we'll ever see a world tour again, mm-hmm. but I would love to because I remember how big it was. Yeah, And, um, you know, I, I was a big, uh, I was slow to pick up on the Conor McGregor thing. And look, you know, it, he makes for fantastic television win or lose. And at the time I was still Picking more like, well, am I a fan of you or am I not? And mm-hmm. I was such a big Aldo fan, so I wasn't on the train. Now I can appreciate Connor's fights more objectively mm-hmm. for the way they play out. Yeah. But yeah, with that, you know, and then there's the rematch, and then um, like a lot of people, like, oh, you know, you just want just such an epic collision, and instead it ends in thirteen seconds, and you know, uh It's like it this way. I think Exactly I mean, you know, it's like I was about to say, like, gentlemen, if you can imagine things ending in thirteen seconds and how disappointing <laughs> they are. I don't yeah. have that problem, but you know. You
0: get it. You get it.
1: You know? Yeah. You build it up, it's gonna be so awesome. They're right there. <laughs> you know.
0: I like your metaphor no. for this. I think it's a relatable
1: yeah, example but, um, you just used. Like, you know, you're hey, you're ready to go to the championship. Race. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, now, and, and, you know, so look, look uh, on the other hand, I, I'll tell you this real talk, I, you know, pay-per-views, you know, that could take a lot out of your budget and you kind of save it for the, the money for the big fights. And so you pay and a and in 13 seconds, that sucked. I was heartbroken, not Aldo. I almost could put me on that list that night. But um, yeah, to sum it up, because I know we got two more. Um, I remember they posted... Probably, it could have been two years ago, so it's been some time since the McGregor fight for Aldo, and, you know, I think it was before one of the Max Holloway fights, and he's got his shirt off, and he's shredded, and the caption on Instagram is like, oh, the King of Rio... You know what do you what do you remember what fight do you remember when you see this photo and you know Jose's looking all cool like you anyone does when you're that ripped and you have your shirt off <laughs> and um all, you what know no. you do you do that scrolling <laughs> all I see is thirteen second knockout, yeah. I remember the Connor fight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, why does that happen when Jose Zelda had that? Well, Connor brought in fans who never cared about MMA before. Yeah. And people, he he did that single-handedly yeah. through his uh, promotion. I get it. And so when you have a superstar get their iconic moment over you, I do get that. It's completely, Connor has reached and probably, you know, historically will have reached more people than... Jose Aldo will by the time it's all over I get it but when you know how great Jose Aldo is as a fighter and I don't even know him the way you did um and you see that his legacy is reduced to that blip yeah that is heartbreaking and then also I've always said this he pushed very hard for the rematch and I think he did deserve it Mm -hmm. Connor being the superstar when he says I have other plans That's what was the UFC's priority, not, you know, honoring the legacy of Aldo, you know, giving him the rematch like many people have gotten, you know, uh, and, you know, sometimes controversially. So, yeah, I think when you look at it in hindsight, that was a heartbreaker because you know what it did to Aldo's legacy. And yeah, to many people, that's always going to be their highlight of him. And that's unfortunate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, those people are stupid, so let's take solace in that. <laughs> and since we both had the same third, what is your fourth MMA heartbreak? Uh,
1: you know, so this one on a personal level, uh, George St. Pierre's retirement after Johnny Hendricks. Um, just for me on that personal level is that uh, the two guys, like my two... You know, the big faces on Mount Rushmore. They're like two more guys, but everyone remembers George Washington and Abraham Lincoln when they think of it. Um, it's a GSP and Anderson Silva. So mm-hmm. I think you can see where I'm going for number one. But um, mm-hmm. George St. Pierre at the time, you know, he has that epic fight with Johnny. And he's obviously been at the top for a couple years now. And so, you know, when he says I'm done... And you know what? He stayed retired. It was so quiet. He didn't do too many interviews, but he was just like, "No, I really am done." And it was just kind of like, oh, say it ain't so." And because I think at the time you saw, you saw what was coming, and you know there would have been a rematch with Johnny Hendricks, and at the time Robbie Lawler was killing it, so a potential fight with Robbie would have been cool. And then now we know Tyron Woodley would have made his way up, and. You just knew there were still fights for GSP. And I do, I will say this right now, the GSP of those days beats anybody. He was just on that level. But um, yeah, the, on the personal level, you know, the fact that he kind of went out like that so unexpectedly, so just abruptly, and he just stuck to it, to me, it was just like, <sighs> I mean, at least Habib told us he was aiming for 30-0. and GSP just disappeared. So it's like, well... You know, so that was a heartbreaker just because I feel like, man, there was so much more to get from him. But look, he went out on top. And in hindsight, I mean, look at the retirements we have now. Yeah. GSP, he did it right. So congratulations, even (laughs) though you broke my heart.
0: Because that's the thing, right? We keep telling fighters to retire a certain way. And when they do retire that certain way. We're like, oh, no. <laughs> no, not like that. <laughs> like, There is a perfect retirement out there somewhere. We just don't know what it looks like. And I think with JSP, he really did do what we asked of him. And then he came back and then he left again, like on top of his game. He's just an icon. But since we are uh, speaking on a personal level uh as well, I will... Uh, this might not be the most popular pick for Heartbreak, but I will choose Lioto, Lioto Mashida. I picked him specifically losing to Shogun in the rematch, uh symbolically, because like there were a few moments in Lioto's career that I felt were uh sad to watch. Like the Joan Joan Jones fight comes to mind, and more recently the fight with Ryan Bader was just Miserable past that first round, but I picked the Shogun fight because it was when I think the mystique was broken, and I say this on a person that that this is on a personal level because this is all my projection. So I had picked, and it's no news to anybody listening to this that he was my favorite fighter for a long time, Um, but that he was like I had this idea of him as this like almost supernatural figure or not supernatural but he had the whole like kind of karate kiddish characteristic to him he had the whole like and it wasn't just the way that he fought and he fought in a very interesting right way right like a lot for a long time people talked about you know the puzzle of of Lioto Machida like how hard it was to figure him out and and there was still a lot of that and then I think in the first Shogun fight which obviously Lyoto won but uh, it was a very close fight that some people I guess disagreed with at the time I still think Lyoto won and he won via unanimous decision but I think that first fight sort of broke the spell a little bit that, Oh, okay. Somebody has him sort of figure it out. But then the second fight, um, when Shogun knocked him out in the first round, that really just like, and and of course, mind you, Lyoto was the champion and undefeated, uh, in his professional MMA career up until that point. So to me, it was just like really heartbreaking because it's kind of like that moment of, you know, Oh no, he's, He's mortal. Like, I hate that about him. <laughs> and again, that has less to do with him uh, <laughs> than it does with me uh, as a human and my projections.
1: And Like, I, I don't want you to be just like me. I want you to be bigger and better. See,
0: exactly. Like, I want you to be better. And <laughs> like, you're a superior me. Uh, and... Uh,
1: I want to aspire change. to be more than my mortal self. <laughs> know, right? Like no. that's
0: why I'm invested. Uh I don't want to root for me. I want to root for something better. Uh but he he is as as it turns out I would later uh, work for the UC and I I dealt with Leoto personally a lot and he is better than me as in just a better person in general. He's just like a very nice sweet kind human exactly how he looks uh I guess to other people and and relationships change right with MMA over the years I'm sure it has been the same for you but I don't know I feel like this will stay like it's less the loss to Shogun than the fact that Lyoto Machida didn't become the greatest MMA champion who's ever lived because that's the thing after the Shogun fight like he came back he had other shots at titles he went back to, he went to middleweight and had like a successful run there like his resume has wins over some of the biggest names in mma he is like he was a great champion and it's by all accounts a winner but like to me personally as a human at the time just realizing he wasn't like unbeatable was heartbreaking and that's on me for being an asshole but but this is a safe space and I will confess to this. Yes. That that's my fourth heartbreak. What, what is your, your wait, I lost the count. So we're on your final heartbreak.
1: Yeah. Well, I was going to talk about Machita too. Um, oh, go know, ahead. Uh, go uh, ahead. Yeah. I've actually gotten, I've had the pleasure of seeing him compete live a few mm-hmm. times. And we. I, I'll say this, if Anderson, GSP are my one and two. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Machida has always been a number three for me. And, uh, yeah, I remember the Shogun fight. I was so excited. Like, and Machida was winning that one. You remember that he was getting Shogun and then mm-hmm. Shogun just kind of kept pressing forward and then he cracked them with the overhand right over the guard. And that was a wrap. But, uh, yeah, I think what was unfortunate was that everybody else kind of, um, treated him differently after that. And I will say that is that I love that he won the title. Mm -hmm. Because I think that at the time he was so ahead of the curve and then just really it caught up to him around that time is, you know, even though I feel like he could have beaten Shogun, you know, suddenly you had guys like John Jones who completely broke the mold entirely at 205 at the time. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I do remember that it was like, oh, my gosh, the Machida, it was supposed to be the Machida era, not the Machida minute. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah, and, um, absolutely.
0: And in Brazil, and he boy, was like more mainstream, I think, than people might realize. Like I remember, I wrote my like in Brazil, we do like a graduation thesis when we finish college. And I decided to write mine on MMA. Uh, more specifically, it was how the Vitor Belfort and Anderson Silva fight, like, sort of changed the the face of MMA in Brazil and media. It was, it was some random bullshit. Like, it wasn't great. But <laughs> that's what I remember. And I remember pitching it to... Uh, This big shot at school, like the guy was the like super revered intellectual and I was expecting him to like laugh at my face for having that as a theme instead of like a serious happening of the world. And then he was like MMA and looked at me and do you like MMA? I'm like, yeah. And he said, I love Leoto. Like I'm a karate (laughs) guy. (laughs) I was just like that was the most unexpected moment of my academic career so yes it was leona was a big deal and him not being a big deal anymore was hurtful i think that's a fair a fair thing a fair feeling to have
1: see let's go into college you know university in brazil i couldn't find nobody who loved mma when i went to college
0: oh and it (laughs) wasn't i was a weirdo
1: but that guy was see once again see we would have been best friends We would have been those nerds who did their homework and watched MMA every weekend instead of go out. And I was
0: like the biggest nerd in college. So, yes, absolutely.
1: Uh, Yeah, We we got a lot of love over (laughs) Leoto at MMA Daily. My co-host, that's her favorite fighter, too. Okay, yeah.
0: See, Um, I love it. This is a Leoto friendly space. Uh, Yeah. So do you want to do you want to do you want me to go first on the last pick or do you want to go ahead and do it? because I think I know like, uh, what,
1: what yours is of course um you know uh Anderson Silva the rematcher Chris Weidman mm. yeah I was okay so I'll I'll build it up so uh, Anderson was my favorite finally you know I w- I had tickets to watch him compete and uh the first and it seems last time you know I see Anderson fight and it's his fight with Chris Weidman in July and so mm-hmm. that already broke my heart but um On a serious note, I think for fans, I think for anyone who remembered watching it live, the rematch with Chris Weidman was so built up and at the time you felt like this was still a good fight for Silva. Remember, he was winning before he kind of got a little too comfortable and Weidman got him. So the idea of like, hey, at the very least we get a competitive fight uh, was always at least the worst case scenario I think anyone had. But As it plays out, you know, everything about that night felt off. And, you know, from Silva's walkout to just his demeanor. I always say this. You can never judge the walkout, the fight, how it's going to play out on the walkout. Yeah. That was one of the few exceptions. I think when you saw how Silva was before he walked out for that, you could tell something was wrong. And then, you know, things get going early. And I believe it was the second round. He'd have been hurt and... He throws the kick, it snaps. I'm not going to elaborate on it. But if you remember seeing it, uh, that was one of the few times I really like, and I could count on one hand where I watched a fight and I just was physically nauseous. Mm-hmm. And, and I will say this to the point that, um, and, and I didn't see it in the moment, but I was there in Jacksonville recently to see it happen to Weidman. Uh, And um, we were doing the scrum, so I didn't see the actual moment, but I do know that, hey, his leg is hurt. And then, you know, I do see the sight of, you know, his leg has been how it shouldn't be. But watching live the moment with Anderson Silva, I always remember just how my stomach really, I thought I was going to be sick. Yeah. And, you know, Anderson, like I said, was just that big favorite to me. And he was the guy that when I was doing martial arts, I was not saying like I was trying to be Anderson Silva, but try to understand, well, what does he do? What are some of the things he sets up and, you know, try to implement the smaller things that me as a mere mortal could try to emulate to improve as a martial artist. Um. And just, yeah, after that, you know, it's, uh, you look at his record, everyone knows he's never really been the same. And whether it's just the age, the competition, the the injury, you know, he's never really reached those heights since. So I'll always remember that is that when you think about that happening, I don't think anyone ever envisions it's going to happen to the all time great. Mm Because remember, John Jones was still fresh in his reign. No, you know, Anderson Silva was still the undisputed number one. And then this happens and it's just, yeah, that'll always live on as my number one MMA biggest heartbreak. Fernanda, that one broke my heart so bad. I can say that um, it made me you know, cold, like a frozen diamond in my heart. It's hard to, it's been very hard to crack it in MMA since
0: then. It embittered you uh, from yes. the day on, right? Like, I feel you like, know,
1: like it, after dealing that, you can't hurt me the same. You just can't.
0: I will say I consider putting this on mine, but I kind of had a feeling you would. And I think... This is on everybody's sort of list. And I remember the first Anderson loss to Weidman, it was really shocking um, because we didn't really think at the time that Anderson could lose. Uh, and <laughs> the stock on on Weidman to be the one who do that, I think wasn't that high. And I remember it was at, also at a bar. I think my listeners might think I have a problem because so many of my life's moments were spent in bars. Uh uh, and that would be accurate. Yes, but that's a conversation for another time. But um, and I just remember the silence like And then the second fight, I was actually uh, at a TV show because we had a guest on this TV show that aired right after event, So we would go with the guest. I was doing PR at the time, uh, which was normally a fighter. We would watch the event there and then they would go on air right afterward, right? To comment on it. And at that point, I think we still think, thought that Anderson could absolutely win that fight, the first fight. And that's to me, I think a little unfair to Weidman because I think a lot of the narrative became uh, what Anderson got overconfident. He got cocky And then he got caught, right? Like that, that's what a lot of people were saying. And then not really taking account into account Weidman's skill to actually capitalize and to understand what Anderson was going to do and go in with a punch that wasn't expected. But, and then still like there were questions. And then for the second fight for it to end the way it did with that injury, I just remember, I don't even remember who the guest was. So like, that's how hazy it is i just remember we were watching it uh from the studio ready to go on air and everybody just froze and we were staring at the tv like what do we even do now like what how are we even supposed to react to this thing right like and the show went on and it was just a weird show because people didn't even know what to think or feel about that injury And, and it ended up that Uh, Anderson's recovery was not as bad as it could have been like that. um, He, you know, that kind of injury seemed like it would be worse. Now we know that even like some ligaments take longer to heal and things like that, than that specific kind of injury he had access to the best care. It wasn't as horrendous of a recovery, at least physically, mentally, I'm sure a lot of barriers um, must have come up because how do you even kick again after going through something like that? Right. But Yeah, it was a really shocking, shocking moment. I think, and it was a big deal. Like there was a lot of media coverage in Brazil. Like people treated that like as a defining moment. Uh, I will. Okay, now for my final moment, though. Now it might seem a little silly because it wasn't as big as this one, but I picked it because I felt like it was one moment in time that really spoke to like this larger thing. And that was when JDS um, lost the belt to Kane Velasquez after taking it from him. And he you remember that was a beating and that was in Vegas. UFC 155, if I'm not mistaken. And You're he talking got
1: fight number two, right?
0: Fight number two. Yes. Because, obviously, he got his ass kicked by Kane twice. But uh, I'm talking about the second one, and which he came into as the champion. And after the fight, he had his whole face, like, completely destroyed. And the crowd was booing. And, like, I remember him, like, looking sort of, like, disoriented still after taking all of that and losing his title and saying something, like, why are they doing that? Like... And that to me was just so real, like such a moment of real like human vulnerability because this person just went through this life-changing type of fight, I think, honestly, because can you imagine? And lost this thing that was so dear to them and you're still trying to process it all. And then there's a crowd of people booing you. And then you're like, why are they booing me? It just to me, it was just such a thing. And I was looking up, uh, I was looking it up so I can do this, this podcast. And it is less dramatic than it was in my mind. Like, I think it stuck, like the phrase, why are they doing this? Like, I imagine the setter thing. He was more confused, I think, than anything else. But it really stuck with me, I think, because JDS is such a nice guy. And we now know, right? Like, he became a fan favorite. He's one of those guys that everybody just kind of knows as one of MMA's nice guys and for him to get booed like booed like that after a traumatic experience uh, just still breaks my heart
1: man yeah i remember that and i think i saw a video where it actually came up and i was reminded and i think when you know jds not even personally watch his interviews i mean really you know he can probably you know challenge the undisputedness of steven thompson as the nicest mm-hmm. guy in mma yeah. uh really just bright friendly yes um not i like damien but jds just smiles more sorry that's <laughs> but, true
0: that is yeah. i will not dispute that that is true my my damien fandom will take a backseat to this this because this is just facts
1: Yeah, but, um, yeah, to see that happen to Junior, who really, you know, he did the best he could, it just, he really was outclassed by, you know, you could make an argument that's the best Cain Velasquez we ever saw, even more than some of his other performances where he was great, but, um, yeah, you just always remember that, and I think that, uh, that was his never quite the same again moment too, Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, that was always a tough one. And uh, obviously, you know, he's fallen on tough times inside the cage. But uh, yeah. yeah, that that one really did uh, was tough. I always remember when you think about that, um, I remember in college we had a class and this guy talk, was talking, you know, he'd been part of a sports program for years and he was actually used to be a coach for very big NBA superstar, like known by one name, kind of famous, right? Uh this uh player had a lot of difficulties on the court and all that, uh performing. And uh he talked about it. There's uh, like private conversation and uh he asked us like, Well, how do you feel when you know this happens, it doesn't go well? And very famous guy, like has more money than you and I if we tripled all our money combined, Fernando. Yeah.
0: Okay. And That's wrote, not hard, like,
1: but still what's, what, what's <laughs> still the impressive. What's, Yeah, what's the first thing? And he wrote, the coach turns around. Like, he turns his back when he knows I'm about to mess it up. Uh, His teammates put their towel over their faces. uh, And then he wrote, number three, people laugh at me. uh, And so anytime you think about, well, you know what? Is life that bad when you're that rich? And JDS is sponsored by Nike. You know, that kind of stuff can't really change the fact that you're human and what it feels like when a lot of people do that to you. Mm-hmm. And I think that I always remember that. It's like, well, they booed him. you still got paid. You know what? It doesn't mean you're not human and it doesn't hurt. So that's what makes that one heartbreaking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's it, Gabriel. We covered... we. Each picked our five. We had a common one. I'm sure that we could go on talking about this for like five years because somehow the heartbreaks, they they stick. They stay with us longer than the celebrations. Um, and that's my bit of philosophy for today. I guess, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time for joining me today. Before we go, is there anything you want our listeners to listen to, read, watch, whatever. This is your your time to plug away uh, anything that you have going on right now.
1: Oh, my gosh. Just uh, first off, thank you. And I've said this to you frequently, privately, publicly. Uh, you are one of my favorite people to talk to. I think mm. you're just very... Uh, you know how to talk in that way that very few people do about everything not just mma and which is obviously where we usually speak so i do appreciate you getting you know just inviting me and having me here and then if you are listening uh definitely follow me i am at double g on tv on just about everything twitter instagram just spell out the word double letter G O N T V. tv and then also on youtube youtube.com slash c slash mma uncaged I'm trying to make that the one-stop shop for all that stuff I do for everybody. So it's not like you're coming through, you know, all these other videos. You could just kind of find my stuff where I do interviews. I talk to amazing people like yourself ahead of big events to break them down. So a lot of good stuff if you're an MMA fan.
0: Thank you so much. Yes, everybody check it out or you'll be missing out. Thank you again, Gabriel, for being here. Thank you all at home or wherever you are for listening to this. Thank you all the fighters that we named today. All the people we believe have been treated unjustly or who have had been dealt raw hands in their lives and careers. Aldo, Dominic Cruz, Ken Velasquez, JDS, Leoto. Thank you all. And thank you me, I guess, just because. I guess I felt like like saying something nice to myself today. This has been the best camp of my life. See you all next week.